body in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be your people because of what Christ has done on the cross to reconcile us to you. As people who have been reconciled to you through Christ's work, we do pray that we will be deeply infused with your presence. We pray this in your name. Amen. As a teenager, I loved to play rugby league. Does anyone here love rugby league like I do? Any rugby league supporters? Great. Well, my brother was a very good rugby league player when he was a teenager. He would often play rep football. And in order to score a try against me, because I was the older brother, three years older, he would often reflect his beloved idol, Benji Marshall. With a Benji Marshall-inspired sidestep or chip kick over my head, he would break through my wall, often scoring a try. Levi became a mirror image of Benji Marshall, quick and dangerous on the field. And likewise, I realise that Evelyn is also a creature of imitation. This is my daughter there, Evelyn, reflecting gestures that I'm not even aware of performing at times. For when frustrated or deep in thought, I will sometimes close my eyes and sigh. To my surprise, Jenny, my mother, noted that she was copying my facial my classic facial expression, even in the right context. I was dumbfounded, somewhat amazed by her discovery, and I constantly see her copy me now when I make that expression. Reflecting on the psychology of imitation, a researcher watched a boy enter his playpen in the presence of another child. The boy then screamed, stamped his feet, and moved the playpen backwards. The following day, when the watching child was placed in her playpen alone, guess what she did? She reflected the same series of actions. She screamed, stamped her feet, and pushed the playpen backwards. Likewise, I found another study that tested the facial expressions of newborns in a hospital nursery. After analysing 18 newborns between the ages of one to three days, they discovered that they had an inbuilt desire at such a young age to reflect the facial expressions of others, believe it or not. Since Nolan, my second child, was born last week, I tested this theory out for myself. A theory that proved successful, I believe. Well, I only had one candidate. After poking out my tongue, as the researchers suggested, Nolan would imitate my facial expression a few seconds later. And then I paused for a moment just to watch if he would do it again. He didn't. And then I poked my tongue out again. And guess what? Three seconds later, he poked out his tongue. I was dumbfounded. To me, something is clear. We are creatures of imitation. In fact, the scriptures teach us that we were created to imitate. Take Genesis chapter 1, 27 to 28, for example. Let me read. So God created man, or humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. 
and every living creature that moves on the earth. It's early in scripture, we see that Adam and Eve, well, the early humans, were made in the image and likeness of God. They were created to reflect his good nature. They worked, rested, and ruled like God. They were designed to be fleshly signposts of his marvelous presence. They were called to be a light in the world around them, as the Matthew reading encourages us, beaming out the Lord's presence in all that they did. And all the creatures were created to, I guess, be led by that that image, that likeness expressed through them. And since all humanity was created to imitate God's presence, as we reflect upon humanity, something becomes clear. Something has gone terribly wrong. Evil is present everywhere. Evil runs through our veins, it seems. God's presence seems somewhat suppressed in humanity, for there is bad news. As we read through Genesis, we find that Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they rejected him, and now we have a problem in our planet. We are now broken image bearers. Not just created in in the image of God, but created in the image of Adam's brokenness. Take Genesis 5.3, for example. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Seth was created in the broken image of Adam, the man who caused evil and death to enter our world. This means that Seth imitated Adam's evil nature. As a descendant of Adam, his identity was linked to sin. His DNA had the marks of pain and suffering. In fact, if you look in at his Hebrew name, his name echoed the death of his brother Abel. Seth's name meant compensation. He was the replacement of a murdered brother. His name was a reminder of human evil. As an image bearer of Adam, Seth had the capacity to imitate the immoral desires of his earthly father. But Seth is also made in the image of Adam. So that means that since Adam is made in the image of God, there's still goodness that is expressed through Seth's identity. As a descendant of Adam, his identity is also linked to God. His DNA has the marks of God's peace and refreshment, even though it is broken. In fact, his name is also a signal of hope. Now through Seth's bloodline, the whole world would be blessed. His name was a reminder of God's grace, a second chance. And as an image bearer of Adam, Seth had the capacity to imitate the pure desires of his father. And since the scriptures teach us that we are all in Adam, Romans chapter 5, 14, big point there from Paul, we are creatures who share the same identity as Seth. We attempt to imitate Adam's goodness and we also imitate his evil nature. Our goodness is expressed in the protection of our land, from the consuming blazes of a fire, for example, and our provision of aid, especially when there's a disease spreading throughout the world. Presently, however, 
Our evil is also expressed in our nature. We abuse the most vulnerable and establish environments whereby people are suppressed. Since we're constantly wrestling with these two natures, we can feel somewhat warped. Acts of compassion are often followed by acts of greed, aren't they? Moments of humility are replaced with seasons of arrogance. Truthful conversations are exchanged with gossip. Sharing in Seth's identity is a warped, confused and divided identity. And due to our warped, confused and divided identity, we naturally yearn for worldwide stability and rest. I know I do. I long for God's new creation. A world overflowing with peace. No more death, no more crying. The old order of things has passed away. I long for that. Do you long for that? Do you long for peace in this chaotic world? Through our inbuilt desire to imitate goodness, we attempt to create a planet that overflows with peace and refreshment in the present. We attempt to create systems of human flourishing. However, there's a sad kicker. Even though these systems seem good in theory, they often don't live up to their expectations. Take the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, for example. We're going through Genesis a little right now. Let me read it, verse 1 there. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The builders of Babel longed to establish a system of stability and rest. To create this system, they attempted to tie the Tower of Babel, the city, to the heavens. They desired to establish a good new order for the world in a broken world of sin and death. They hoped to govern the world like gods. And one scholar even makes this point. The citizens of this human city view the creator as completely irrelevant. God is not even present in the picture. They long to be secular citizens of heaven. God's presence was absent. And due to their pride, the presence of God was stripped from their plans. Their pride was their downfall. Rather than reaching the heavens, the builders were brought down to the ground, a place of absolute humility. Their languages were confused. God scattered them across the face of the earth. And the lesson is penetrating. Lasting goodness cannot be established without God's presence. God's presence is extremely necessary 
to a life of human flourishing. While we can learn from this lesson, the failure to imitate God's goodness is always on repeat. And I could come up with hundreds of examples throughout human history of how a lack of God's presence in a system fails. And one of these failed systems that is occurring today, I believe, is known as multiculturalism. This is the view that many different cultures can effectively coexist in the same civilization. And to increase our sense of unity and peace in our society and to make ethnic and religious minorities feel at home, we are encouraged to affirm them in their diversity. Yet this vision for our society, I believe, is not going to plan. For example, one man of Asian descent said this last Sunday. He comes from Musselbrook. It was hot yesterday. We decided to take our three children to the cinema. I, know, I did notice we were the only Asians there. Waiting for the movie to begin and then in between movie trailers, a voice behind me kept on saying this. Coronavirus. 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 Was this aimed at us? I don't know. Was it racism? Who knows? He goes on to say, but in this current atmosphere, it takes an effort to not think this way. Let's try and be considerate, look at different people as people not with fear and prejudice. And due to this fear and prejudice in our culture, one um, scholar wrote this. Multiculturalism has run its course and it's time to move on. It was fine, even noble. It was designed to make ethnic and religious minorities feel more at home in society. It affirmed their culture, it gave dignity to difference, and yet it has not worked. It has led not to integration, but to segregation. It was intended to promote tolerance. Instead, societies are more aggressive, fractured, and intolerant than they have ever once or since we've experienced before. This good vision for our world, known as multiculturalism, is failing to help us to overcome our warped, broken, and divided identities. And as I watch the news and read papers and hear testimonies as this disease known as the coronavirus is spreading throughout the world, I'm, I'm seeing a fresh glimpse of racism in our culture. I don't know if it's just me, but it's showing me that we are indeed not very tolerant towards minorities or other cultures. And I suspect that this man of Asian descent who I um, quoted is feeling a bit anxious right now with his family because he doesn't feel at home in our community. Luckily, he knows Jesus. While the civilizations of our world still procreate, expand and yearn for goodness, their work lacks a core ingredient to human flourishing, and I've already mentioned it, the absolute necessity of God's presence. My hope is that you come away just feeling, yes, I need to grow in God's presence. This is the solution to our broken world, drawing closer to God, knowing him better. Mark says, one of my favourite um, pastors in Australia makes this point, the greatest healing agent in the cosmos is the presence of God. I say amen to that. He goes on to say, 
the story of refreshment is a story of God's presence returning to our toxic human lives, systems and societies. He goes on to say human flesh cut off from the presence of God mutates into something monstrous. Any renewal of our culture, any healing and reviving of our personal and social systems must begin with an understanding of God's presence. As I reflect upon the book of Acts in the New Testament, the reason why I believe the gospel spread like wildfire across the whole region, the the whole Roman Empire, and deconstructed the whole Roman Empire was because people were filled with the Holy Spirit, God's presence. And they were so full of God's presence that people saw these communities at work in the local communities, gospel communities at work, and were drawn to them. And the unjust structures in the Roman Empire, such as slavery, which was later abolished by um, Wilberforce, later, many years later, was starting to be slowly deconstructed as the gospel made way throughout Rome. To go back to Mark, Mark believes that the renewal of our world must begin with individuals having a deeper grasp of God's presence. Please just take that note away, God's presence, yeah? I love what J.I. Packer says. He's an Anglican minister over in um, England. It is with the searching, scorching manifestation of God's presence that renewal begins. And by his presence, that renewal is sustained. If God isn't present in our lives in a deep way, our zeal for the gospel will dilute, I believe. Our commitment to Christ's mission will dry up. Our desire to dwell in his presence will be replaced with idols of our own making. We need the blazing furnace of God's presence to ignite our hearts. A presence that enables us to be people of lasting goodness in our world. And this blaze can ignite, rekindle or burn brighter in us by addressing a devastating human problem, which I've already referred to in chapter 11 of Genesis, and that is known as pride. Pride is the carnal virtue of a warped, confused and divided world. Pride actually reduces God's presence in our lives, I believe. If you want to be a city on the hill beaming out the glory of God, we really need to confront that pride in our hearts. Pride was the downfall of the Tower of Babel and the people there. Since pride strips the world of God's presence, the world of God's presence, I believe that we must confront it with humility. Humility is the only way that God's presence can bring us lasting transformation. Paul makes this point potent when he speaks of the humility of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. And I've referred referred to that passage a few times over the couple of months, but I want to refer to it again. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, think about this, even though 
who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Humility is transformational in the spirit's power humility humility took Jesus down to the lowest depths of the earth which is opposite to the Tower of Babel story and lifted up him to the highest heavens the result of his humility is penetrating God the Father was glorified through his humility I love what this Um, Theologian Andrew Murray once said, he says this, The highest glory of the creature is in being only a vessel to receive and enjoy and show forth the glory of God. It can do this only as it is willing to be nothing in itself, that God may be all. Water always fills first the lowest places. The lower, the emptier a person lies before God, the speedier and the fuller will be the inflow of the divine glory of God the Father. I love that. Amen. Christ was perfectly infused with God's presence through the virtue of humility. It's no wonder that Paul commands us to be humble. Ephesians 4.2 Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Romans 12.16 Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And knowing the necessity of Christ-like humility for a greater effusion of God's presence... Before I close this message, I'd like to help you become people of humility, people who are growing deeper in God's presence. My hope is that you'll confirm to the humble image of God revealed to the world in Christ Jesus, which has the capacity to bring transformation to our society as more people are drawn to Christ Jesus and his message of salvation. If you have a desire to grow in humility, consider these two disciplines, okay? I want to suggest two spiritual disciplines. And hopefully over the year we can go back to these spiritual disciplines and maybe have a sermon on each of these disciplines to dive deeper in them. But the first discipline is confession. During 2013, I experienced the fruit of confession deeply. My class um, travelled to a place called Harley Bay, for a spiritual formation trip, we were challenged to read this book called Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. I encourage you to read it. And in the book, there is a chapter on confession. Since we were all partnered up to reflect upon this chapter, I remember discussing it with my friend, who's now my best friend. We were challenged to confess our sins to each other. It was a humiliating experience, a time of ego slaying. And as we carried each other's burdens, 
and remain courageous in confession, the words of Bonhoeffer impacted us deeply. He says this, In confession, the breakthrough to new life occurs when sin is hated, admitted, and forgiven. There the break with the past is made. Old things are passed away. All that was secret and hidden within me in that period of my life was exposed to the light of Christ and the presence of a brother. The strongholds of my self-justification were abandoned in that time. Through confession, I was humbled and grew in God's presence. And so maybe as a, if, if you're a family unit, you might, for example, once a week have dinner together and just say to each other, is there anything that we need to confess to each other? And I assure you, through confession, you will grow deeper in God's presence. And the second discipline is known as meditation. My favorite psalm, the first psalm, declares the importance of a meditative life. Let me quote the psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, Lord sorry, and who meditates on his Lord day and night. For us Christians, that is the word of God. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Meditating on the scriptures with a posture of humility and delight is the nutrition we need to irradiate with God's presence, to be that city on a hill, as Matthew teaches us in Matthew 5. Thomas Watson said, Meditation is the soul's retiring of itself, that by a serious and solemn thinking upon God, the heart may be raised up to heavenly affections. Or as Thomas Brooks beautifully said, remember, meditation is not hasty reading of scripture, but serious meditating upon holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable in the soul. It is not the bee's touching of the flower which gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower which draws out the sweet. It is not he who reads most, but he who meditates most who will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. Quote end. And I believe that Christian will irradiate with God's presence as they enjoy, feed, and nourished by God's word on a daily basis. And so maybe as another family discipline or personal discipline, spending that moment each day just to sit there in meditation. You might just look at a verse like Matthew 14 and read, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for me not to be, what, sorry, what does it mean for me to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden? What does that look like in practice? Through meditation, we can be humbled and grow in God's presence. To sum up, now as creatures armoured with the pride-crushing disciplines of meditation and confession, I am optimistic that we will evolve 
into people who ooze with God's presence. It would just kind of leak off us. Just imagine, get that image on your mind, you're drenched. And you've just got like oil dropping all over the place and it's touching other people and they're being anointed as well with God's presence. As we commit to these disciplines as a church, I'm optimistic that God's image and likeness in Christ will shine more clearly through us. Like a transmitter that communicates electro waves of information, I'm optimistic that we'll grow as transmitters of God's presence in a world that is simply chaotic. While this call to be infused with God's presence is a hard task, I'm optimistic that this call to imitate the image of God in Christ will transform our warped, broken and divided world. Please and hear my challenge as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Being infused with God's presence is essential. Amen. Next slide, brother.